0: This is Mitchell McLam, lead pastor of Sepona Road Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We're so excited you found our podcast. Our prayer is that you're blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about Sapona Road Church or would like to give to this ministry, please visit our website at SepulnaRoadChurch.com. We hope you have a great day and enjoy today's message. to continue our conversation uh, that i started last week the prophet jeremiah last week we talked specifically about the call of god and how jeremiah was called divinely the word tells us that before he was formed in the womb god knew him god had a purpose god had a plan it was going to be to stand against nations it was going to be uh, to to prophesy against nations it was going to be to uproot and destroy some i told you that he was known as the weeping prophet he dealt with some really rough times we're going to talk about one of those specifically today but we completely related um jeremiah's call his life to your life and my life we all are divinely called maybe it's not to stand on this platform maybe it's not to to hold a microphone maybe it's not to lead an organization maybe It's not even to be a parent. Maybe it's not to be a spouse. I don't know what your calling might not be, but I do know that you're called to to push forward in the kingdom. You've got a calling on your life to make a difference in the kingdom, to share the love of Jesus, to share the gospel, the good news, that there's hope for a lost and dying world. That was Jeremiah's calling, and that is our calling today. Today I want to continue... With a passage of scripture in chapter 12. Before I read it, I'm going to pray uh, that the Lord would have his way and he would anoint you to hear and me to speak. Would you pray with me? Father, I love you. God, I thank you for goodness, grace, and mercy. Lord, I thank you for your presence in the house today. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for moving among us, God, for battles that we're fighting, that we're carrying. Lord, I thank you of nothing else today. God, you reminded us, Lord, that the battle doesn't belong to us, but it's yours. We don't have to carry the weight, Father. We simply just have to jump in your arms and continue the journey, Father, so that you can defeat uh, every enemy, everything that would come against us today. Father, I pray for an anointing, Lord, for your people. Lord, I pray that you would open the ears and the hearts of those that are going to hear this word, Lord, those that are in the room, God, and more so maybe even those that are not, maybe those that somehow will stumble across this, uh, this message to the church, Lord, they'll stumble across it in a podcast or on a, a YouTube video later. Lord, uh, the heart of this message is for the church, and it's for the church that might not actually be in the room. God, and I pray that you would touch those, Lord, that you would create divine uh, opportunities and divine ways, Lord, for people to hear this word today that you've got. God, I pray for an anointing for me to be able to speak clearly and effectively. God, I pray for the anointing that makes preaching, especially sermons like this, easier. God, I pray that you would have your way. These words are not mine, but yours, and I'd simply be a mouthpiece today. God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, Lord, be acceptable to you today. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Jeremiah chapter 7 takes place uh, at a time where there's uproar. This is known as Jeremiah's temple sermon. And you'll understand why in a moment, if you've read Jeremiah over the last few weeks, I look back and it's taken us a long time. If you've been on this Bible reading plan journey with us, it has taken us a an amazingly long time I almost said ridiculously but that would make it sound negative It's taken us a really long time to make it through the book of jeremiah i do like though complete side note i got a timer going so i know when to quit i love the way that our reading plan if you've not if you're not with us don't stop keep reading that plan i told you that last week there's not a it's not a race it's not that you're not going to succeed if you don't have it done by the end of the year. That's not that at all. If you are spending time in the Word of God, you win. That's all there is to it. You win. The goal was is that we're trying to completely read through the Bible in a year. If you don't do it in a year and it takes you two years, you win. It's not a race. The point is, read your Bible. But what I've loved about specifically this reading plan is that it has broken up Jeremiah in umpteen hundred different pieces. If you you with me? It's broken it up, and it's broken it up so that we've seen where the people of Israel were and then how Jeremiah responded. We've seen how Jeremiah prophesied, and we've seen how the people of Israel have responded. The, The children of Judah, we've watched. and It's broken it up, and so I love how our reading plan has done this. So if you're not there yet... Pay attention when you get there. If you've gone through it, I hope that you got the value from that. Uh, I told Micah just yesterday, I think it was yesterday or the day before, even my brain was making connections, even from the front of Jeremiah to the back of Jeremiah. And it's just like, it's amazing how the Word of God is connected. Side note, plug for the Word of God. This is his temple sermon. It's sad that we have to make a plug for the Bible, but we do. The people have lost complete hope in the power of political solutions. You ever been there? <laughs> They've lost hope in the power of politics. And it's this is following up on King Josiah, who was a reformer, he was one that brought order. He brought God back into the people. He, he did good things. Well, now he has died, and when he died and the people didn't have the leader that they needed, the people now have slid back into the darkness of sin. And Jeremiah is given the word to go and make this declaration. I want to answer three questions today. I want to answer, who is Jeremiah addressing? And you're going to think, well, these are simple Who is he addressing, what have they done, and what are the consequences? This is not my sermon, this is Jeremiah's sermon. I simply just get to read it. Who's he addressing, what have they done, and what are the consequences? We have to to look at, when we rightly divide is the fancy way of saying scripture, when we want to to really truly understand what this Bible means and understand what it means for you and I, we have to actually dive into the context of what the writer was saying to the people it was written to. Although, yes, it is completely 100% divinely the inspired word of God, and, and it's God breathed and it's God written through the hands of the prophets and through the hands of, of the writers, yes, that is true, but when we read the gospel letters, we read all, all of Paul's letters, they were intentionally addressed to certain people. When Jeremiah is recounting, when when the writer is, is recounting all of Jeremiah's uh, prophecies, there's a reason that it's there. And we've got to understand who specifically Jeremiah was addressing to be able to understand the context of this. I want to read you a passage out of Jeremiah chapter seven. I'm gonna read verses one through fifteen, and then we're gonna move forward. Pay attention for those three questions. Who's he addressing? What have they done? What are the consequences? The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, stand at the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah who enter these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your deeds and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words The Temple of the Lord, the Temple of the Lord, the Temple of the Lord. The title of my message today is The Temple of the Lord. Verse 5, "'For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds and you truly execute justice with one another and do not oppress the sojourner or the foreigner or the, the stranger, the fatherless or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go out after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever.'" Verse 8, Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. You will steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered only to go on doing these all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. Go now to my place that was in Shiloh, where I made my name dwell at first, and see what I did to it because of the evil of my people Israel. And now because you've uh, you've done all these things, declares the Lord, and when I spoke to you persistently, you did not listen. And when I called you, you did not answer. Therefore, I will do to the house that's called by my name, in which I you trust, and to the place I gave to you, to your fathers, as I did to Shiloh. I will cast you out of my sight. I will cast out all your kinsmen, all the offsprings of Ephraim. That's the the gist of the sermon. Who's he talking to? Well, God told Jeremiah, go stand at the door of the church. Go stand at the gate of the temple, the entrance of the temple. In other words, Jeremiah had Bruce's job that day. Go stand at the gate, and when those people show up, you're going to prophesy to the ones that are actually coming in to worship the Lord. Jeremiah's sermon was not to the sinners. It was not to the rebellious people who didn't know God. It was not to to the, the, the demons or the devils. It was to the church people. Jeremiah's temple sermon was given to him. God clearly gave instructions. Jeremiah, go to the church door, stand at the door, and you proclaim to the men who come into the house, this house, to worship the Lord. That's not easy. As a communicator, as a person who has the opportunity and the privilege and the responsibility to preach the truth, the hardest sermons to preach are those that address the church. Those aren't easy. It's easy for me to preach against the sins that are outside the doors It's easy for us to talk about going out and saving the lost. The trouble is trying to preach and address issues within the house. Jeremiah is addressing the people that are supposed to be in the house. What's going on? They've got all this other stuff. I just read you a long list, and we'll go into that more detail in a minute. You, you trust lies. You steal. You murder. Commit adultery. Swear falsely. Make offerings to Baal. And go after other gods you've not known. And then you come stand before me in this house and say you're delivered. And we look at that, and we hear that, and that's harsh. And that, it's like, how do they do that? But in the re, the, the reality is... There's so many people, maybe not in the room today, I'm not going to talk about you, but there's so many people that are sitting on church pews today that are walking around and they're living these lies. They're living, they're, they're living their life in this careless way. They're living these lies to, to life, but then they show up because they come to, this is the temple, the temple, the temple, because they show up to the temple, they think they're delivered. It's not enough to show up. That's who these people are. They're confused. They're deceived. What have they done? Well, there's a nice long list of what they've done. If you'll hang with me, I'll give you the verse references if you want them. Chapter 7, verses 17 and 18. They've worshipped idols. Idols. Verse 18, the children would gather wood. The fathers kindle the fire. The women knead the dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven. They pour out drink offerings to other gods. The entire family is involved in worshiping and lifting up sacrifices to another god. Then they hurt themselves. Verse 19, is it, is it not uh, whom they provoke, declares the Lord, is it not themselves? If you read the New Living Translation, it just simply says they hurt themselves. Then they they felt God's uh, fury and they're consumed. Verse 20, Behold, my anger and my wrath will be poured out on the place upon man, beast, the trees of the field, the fruit of the garden It will burn and not be quenched. Family, when we're living in the will of God, we don't feel his fury. We don't feel his anger. We feel his love and mercy. We feel victory. Then if you go to verse 24, they are uh they they did not obey or incline their ear but they walked in their own counsel in the stubbornness of their evil heart they were told truth they were they were taught to that they were taught truth and yet they still turned their ear they listened to their own counsel they thought they knew better verse 29 of chapter 7 uh, uh this is the nation that did not obey the voice of the lord their god and did not accept discipline truth has perished It's cut off from their lips. They're now not only not obeying truth, but they're not even speaking truth. Truth is not even coming out of their mouth anymore. They're not only living in deception, but now they're speaking deception. Verse 30, for the sons of Judah have done well in my sight, declares the Lord, Uh, or done evil in my sight, sorry. Right in front of God, they show up in the temple, they show up in his presence. They're sinning in the house of the Lord. And then this one's terrible, verse 31. It says that, uh, they, they have built high places of Topheth, and, uh, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnan, and they burned their sons and daughters in the fire, which I did not command, nor did it come into my mind. They're sacrificing their children. Chapter 8, verse 7. The bottom of that says the people knew not the rules of the Lord. They're not even uh, educated and knowledgeable about the word anymore. They've lost. Not only are they not obeying, they can't obey because they don't even know the word. They don't even know the law of the Lord. Verse 8 of chapter 8 says, the, um, he said, How can you say we are wise, the law of the Lord is with us? But behold, the lion pen of the scribes has made it into a lie. They're, they're believing the false gods. They're believing the false teachers. They're living all, they're, they are so messed up. They're so far out in left field, and God is so concerned. These are the people that Jeremiah has been sent to preach to. This is what they're living. So, what are the consequences? What's so beautiful about this is because we read this, and the people that don't truly know the heart of God and they don't understand the character of God read this, and all we see is God's mad, He's full of fury. He's going to punish the people. He's going to curse the people, right? That wasn't even the message that Jeremiah preached. If that's what we see, we completely miss God's grace. Because in verse three, he says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your deeds, and I'll let you dwell in this house. You change you turn your heart, you stop these abominations, you, you, loot, you quit all the junk that's going on in your life. If you'll show up truly with a repentant heart, you'll show up and you'll be, if you will change, I'll let you dwell here. There's not fury in that. Do you hear anger in that? There's not anger. It's grace. It's mercy. It's love. God is the God that could have struck them dead the moment that they lit fire to their first son or daughter, right? The God of the Old Testament, which is the same God of the New Testament and the God of today, we saw a whole lot more wrath in the Old Testament and it's kind of surprising that he didn't strike them down with lightning with some of these abominations or when they showed up in the temple and began to lift their hands and worship the same hands that had just baked the cakes to the God of the heavens, to the, the queen of the heavens. There's not wrath in the message, it's grace. Unfortunately, if that didn't happen, then maybe there was going to be some discipline. This same grace was the same grace that came to the people of Israel when Solomon had just finished building the temple. And you know this passage, 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and repent and turn from their ways, then I would come and I'd heal their land. It's a message of grace, a message of mercy. It's not a, a message of I'm going to wipe them off the face of the earth because I'm mad and ticked off and tired of dealing with them. It's a message of grace. And then God goes on and explains what's going to happen if they don't turn. Verses 12 through 15. He says, Go now to my place that was shallow, in shallow, where I made my name dwell at first. This is the place that the temple was built. If you go back to Joshua and read, this is the place where the Lord's presence, they he built the house of the Lord. They built the temple so that God's presence could rest. The place at Shiloh, so much took place at Shiloh. If you dive in and, and dig in and want to learn, go back to that place, he said. He said, and, and where I made my name dwell at first and see what I did to it because of the evil of my people Israel. And now because you I've done all these things, declares the Lord, when I spoke to you persistently and you did not listen. He gave warning after warning after warning and you did not listen. He said, when I called, you did not answer. Therefore, I will do to this house that's called by my name and in which you trust to the place I gave you and to your fathers as I did to Shiloh. I will cast you out of my sight and I will cast out all your kinsmen and the offspring. You know what he did in Shiloh? Psalm 48:60 says he forsook his dwelling at Shiloh, the tent where he dwelt among mankind. The place that the presence of the Lord dwelled, he left. Jeremiah is trying to tell these people, you got all this junk going on in your life and then you show up to the temple, the temple, the temple. And you believe the lie that because you walk in the door, you're delivered. But I'm telling you, people, Jeremiah says, if you keep doing this, God's presence itself is not going to remain in this house. That's harsh. The consequence is harsh. The sermon calls Jeremiah so much grief. All he was doing was trying to preach truth. Last week I told you people don't want truth, right? Truth is really what's causing division. Nobody knows what the truth is. Nobody really wants the truth. Evil and truth, deception and truth can't habitate together. Darkness and light cannot habitate together. So when truth is present, it creates this horrible friction. It's this terrible friction that we feel, but in reality what's taking place in the spirit realm is heaven and hell are literally battling it out. And uh, demons and angels are having to go at war because truth is going to prevail, but it's not going to prevail without a fight. So as truth begins to try to, to push back, the darkness and the evil is pushing against the truth. And so then we have the conflict. The conflict's not what we see, it's what's unseen, and it's the the principles of uh, the the darkness and the, the principalities that we can't see all around us that actually is going on. That's what's causing the physical, but it's not what we see that's causing the issues. It's truth trying to pierce into deception. Jeremiah was just trying to preach truth, but if you look at chapter 26 with me, We're rehashing this sermon back out. It's a recap. And I'll spare you the reading of the same thing, beginning in verse 1 to verse 6. But basically, they're rehashing out. They're talking about what this sermon did. And in verse 7, it says, the priests and the prophets and all the people her, uh all the people heard Jeremiah speaking these words in the house of the Lord. He's preaching his temple sermon. And when Jeremiah had finished speaking, all that the Lord had commanded him to speak, all the people, then the priest, uh, to all the people, then the priests and the prophets, and all the people laid hold of him. The living translation said, They mobbed him, saying, You shall die. All he did was spoke truth. Verse 10: When the officials of Judah heard these things. When he heard, hey, uh, this house is going to be like Shiloh. When they heard that, the officials of Judah, they came up from the king's house, the house of the Lord, took their seat in the entry of the new gate of the house of the Lord. And then the priests and the prophets said to the officials and all the people, this man deserves a death sentence, the sentence of death, because he's prophesied against the city. This message brought grief to Jeremiah. We just saw in that response. Why does he deserve the death sentence? He prophesied against what? The city. They have idolized their city above the temple of the Lord. They've idolized the the city against God himself. You with me? All this in a minute may click. And it may come together and you realize... That although Jeremiah was really talking to these folks, he could be standing here preaching the same sermon today. So let's bring it home. Told you it wouldn't take me but a minute. There's timeless truths in this sermon. If there wasn't, I wouldn't be standing here preaching it. How do I know they're timeless? Jeremiah said in chapter 7, I believe it was verse 11. He's speaking for the Lord. He said, has this house which is called by my name become a den of robbers? In your eyes, behold, I myself have seen that. I see, even though you don't see, this house which is supposed to be the house by my name has now been called, it's been made a, a, a house of a den of robbers. And now I know it's true, that it's timeless, because Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record Jesus citing the exact same thing. So although Jeremiah is addressing the church in his day, Jesus is addressing the temple and the church of his day. You've made what should be my house a house of prayer. You've made it into the house of thieves, the den of robbers. And if it was timeless for Jesus, from Jeremiah addressing the temple, standing at the gate, to Jesus rolling up in there and throwing tables and kicking people out of the temple and saying the same thing, then why would it not be timeless to the house today? The temple, the temple The temple. Here's what I believe the Lord showed me this morning in my study. Anytime you see threes in scripture, it's important. So here's the three for me. First of all, the first temple is our nation. We live in a nation that was founded on godly principles. At one point in time, it it was the the safe place. It was the place where people could come to have religious freedom and not religious freedom to celebrate every other god that, that could possibly really falsely exist, but it was the place where people could escape to worship the almighty Jesus Christ freely. We're one nation under God. And now we're at a place where we can't trust the political powers anymore to bring us real answers. We're at a place now, the place that was supposed to be the safe haven for Christianity. Revival's taking place all around us while our nation's going to hell. I told you some weeks back, I showed you pictures. Of revivals that are breaking out in Brazil, in Mexico, in Honduras, it's China. It's overwhelming. It's amazing. I'm talking about Holy Spirit-filled people baptizing the Holy Spirit, Pentecostal revivals. But yet our nation has been made a temple where we have walked in and out over and over and over. We murder, we kill, we steal. We're worshiping, oh my Lord, the gods we worship. We're such a materialistic nation that we worship everything else. Pastor, not me. Well, the message was for the church. The church is where things have gone wrong in our nation. We lost it. And we thought because we kept showing up to the temple, we're delivered, it's all fine and dandy, let's go home. The temple, the temple, the temple, the nation is the first temple. As a nation, we've lost our way. I believe that as a nation, we are seeing in this place what happened in Shiloh. The nation that was once one nation under God is now a nation. I'm not going to say God's not here. God's here. We don't allow God to be here. We're not allowing God to move. Our lieutenant governor, if you have not signed a petition, you should sign a petition. I don't ever do this. I don't bring politics to the pulpit, ever. But I'm telling you, you need to go find the... the Petition that Mark Robertson, Robinson is putting through the lieutenant governor to try to save our babies. We are sacrificing our own kids in this nation. Lord, I mercy the whole the whole deal with abortion. We even got to go to the physical sacrifice of our babies. We can stay away from that, and we can just look at the spiritual sacrifice of our babies. The reason you need to go sign the petition is because our public schools are trying to push uh, homosexuality and, and all this crazy uh, gender issues and all this mad. It's in our libraries of our public schools. They're there. Harnett County School, we did a search and figured out those books are in the libraries in Harnett County. It's not somewhere far off. It's in our backyard. Harnett County is more of a conservative county than Cumberland County. If they're in Harnett County, I promise they're in Cumberland County. As a nation, as a state, as a community, we're killing ourselves from the inside out. We're so full of hatred and division. We're, as, a, as families, we worship everything else other than the one true Lord. And you're here on a Sunday morning. I'm gracious, so maybe it's not you. But so many families at this point in time are worshiping on a Sunday morning so many other things than Jesus Himself. What happens when God finally says, I'm done? We ain't got to be around. We don't have to be here when Jesus comes back. This nation does not have to exist, in my opinion, when Jesus shows back up. What happens when he releases? The second temple is the church. Within the church... We're idolizing people. We're idolizing styles. We're idolizing things. We think we know better than the Lord. Tommy and I had a conversation yesterday. We have so many people in our churches that are trying to take steps, not bad ones, don't get me wrong, they're for ministry. Oftentimes the ideas are grand. They're trying to make steps or maybe they're trying to take to to make changes. And, you know, Mitchell is not the one that's going to talk against changes. Look around. We have to progress. We have to change some things. The difference is there's people that are relying on their own knowledge. They're relying on their own wisdom. They're relying on their own truths and they take the step hoping Jesus catches up and follows along. You with me? And so our churches have become ideas of so many men, visions of men rather than visions of God. There's a church in this state, they're publicly doing it on Facebook. You're liable to have the ads pop up, so I'm not really scared. The church itself advertises and uses inclusivity as their marketing campaign. Rainbows, what does that mean? They accept everybody regardless of your gender identity, regardless of your uh, sexual orientation, regardless of how you feel about yourself. They are using that to market their church. We are an inclusive church. Let me be real clear. I want everybody to step through the doors because Jesus came for the sinner, our doors are wide open to every gender, every nationality, every, every different orientation, every person that's done all kinds of crazy stuff. These doors are never, ever, ever closed. If they are, we all might as well go home. But condoning the sin and using the sin to market and grow the church is wrong. 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 The church has become this place where idols are being sacrificed. Where children have been forgotten. I remember my calling the night I I was, I guess maybe Madeline's age. I remember this. I've talked to the the pastor, the pastor of the church. I was sitting on the very back pew cutting up. I was maybe eight or 10 years old. The guy I was hanging out with was 16. Terrible idea. Mama, why'd you let me do that? I'm just kidding. There weren't many other people there. That was the same night, I believe, if I recollect, maybe a different, I don't know. I did it a couple weeks ago. I'm not going to do it again, although I am lighter than when I did it before. Big old six and a half foot Tall man, probably huge, stocky guy, stood and walked across the tops of several pews and come back, not to prove that he could, just because he was excited about the anointing and the power of God on his life. Sunday night, the altar service is booming, people are crying and slobbering and snotting and probably laying all over the floor. And I went in this church, not very, Fourth of July, I walked in this church and It looks nothing like I remember, and it's way smaller than I remember because big old fella on stage, looked back there at me cutting up, and I thought, man, I'm in trouble, and called me to the front. And so you know why it feels a lot smaller now that it did? Because Mitchell was in trouble cutting up, goofing off, and now all of a sudden, the man of the hour has called me to the front, and I had to take a long journey to the front of that church. Stood on the stage. He began to pray over me and speak over my life. That God was going to do great things. I'm a kid, ain't got a clue. I messed up a whole lot after then, and even I'm a whole lot between then and now. My babies haven't really seen that. My babies haven't seen a, a real two-hour, three-hour Holy Ghost field snotting and slobbering and all people just slain, laid down in the power of the Holy Spirit. My babies haven't experienced that. We're sacrificing babies in the church. That's what put me where I am today. We show up. Sunday after Sunday, to the temple, the temple, the temple. And think it doesn't matter what I've done or how I've lived all week. As long as I show up, don't quit showing up. That's not the purpose of this. The point's not to quit showing up. You need to show up. I don't care if you've lived like the devil all week. You do need to show up. I do care if you've lived like the devil all week. Don't live like the devil. The point is, you need to be here. But even more so, What happens outside of the temple matters as much as what happens inside is what God's told Jeremiah to tell these people. Third temple. We've got the nation, the church, and now we have ourselves, the people, the body. Paul said, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? It's the place where the Spirit of God resides. How often are we allowing any and everything to come in and interact and interfere with this body? Physically, spiritually, emotionally. I can talk because I've lived through it. I know what it's like to have junk in because junk in equals junk out. We're sacrificing. We use this body for worship other than to the Lord. We allow this body to create resources that never make it back to the house of God. We allow this body to take pleasure in any and everything. God created our bodies for pleasures. But we allow those pleasures to take place of what God truly intended for us to do, and that was worship him. Here's the fear of all of this for me. The temple, the temple, and the temple. Jeremiah said, change your ways. And you can stay here. But if you don't, I'm going to do what I did at Shiloh. And where my presence once resided, it's no longer going to reside. If God leaves this nation, you might as well go into hiding. Lock your doors. That's the only reason that we are safe the way we are today. I believe wholeheartedly. The only reason God allows us to have anything, to do anything, to live, to have another day is because God gives us that. I don't have anything on my own. If God releases his, if he leaves this temple of our nation, we're trying our best. We, the prophets, the priests, say he deserves the death sentence. We are trying our best to kick him out. If he ever finally just releases his presence from our nation, we're in trouble. Can you imagine what it would be like on a Sunday morning to show up with a church full of people? And some churches already do this. Thank the Lord we're not there. Can you imagine a church that's so full of people that live however they want to outside of the building that when they show up, they're all here and God's presence is gone and all it is is an empty room with a bunch of bodies? God help us. If he ever releases himself, if he ever pulls his, you say he won't do it. He did it. He did it. The very first temple that was built for him, for his presence to reside in, he removed himself from that place because of idol worship. He did it. He will do it. It's timeless. That means if he did it then, he'll do it now. The message of grace is first and foremost, and it's huge. Amend your ways, change your ways, repent, come to me with a repentive heart, and you can dwell right there, and I'm going to dwell among you. If you don't, I'm pulling myself out of this equation. God, help us as the church of Jesus Christ, particularly in this nation, if we don't quit showing up, And the way that those people were showing up. Thirdly, I don't know about you. Maybe you're not as dependent on him as I am. But if the Spirit of God ever leaves this temple, I'm doomed. I've been in some pretty dark places in my life. I've been in some pretty deep depression. I've been under some pretty deep, nasty spiritual warfare. And the only thing that kept me most every night, Micah would attest I sleep with two things, her and a Bible. I woke up this morning in the middle of the night, my Bible was laying on my pillow beside my head. Do you think I'm crazy? I know it works. For some reason, Satan hates me. Hmm. <laughs> wonder why. And I have buttons that can be pressed. And I have triggers that can be flipped. And when they're flipped, it's horrible. And Satan knows how to flip the buttons and the triggers. And and he knows how to flip the switches. He knows what buttons to press. You have buttons. You know what I'm talking about. If God's presence ever leaves this temple... I might as well go get in a casket and lay down and die because it ain't going to take very long before Satan himself kills me. Here's the thing though, God's not just going to up and leave this temple one day. He told Jeremiah, we can't forget, go back to the first week, we laid a foundation. The call was divine. His promises. I'm never going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm going to give you the words to speak. I'm going to give you the steps to take. Follow my lead and you will never go wrong. God's not going to up and leave this temple. Just like he's not going to up and leave this temple. Like he's not going to up and leave a nation that was founded on godly principles. He's not going to leave us. I believe we can somehow kick him out. And I believe I can shut him out. I believe we can live a life so full of darkness and evil that we show up to the temple, the temple, the temple to be delivered. Deliverance doesn't exist anymore. I need God's presence in my life. We need God's presence in the church. And we sure enough gotta have God's presence in this nation. I've been around long enough to know. I've been in ministry long enough to know. Maybe you don't know it, but I'll let you know. Preachers and ministers aren't perfect. I hope I didn't just bust your bubble. We're not the next closest thing to Jesus. We're part of the body just like you are. We're part of the flock. It just so happens that the calling on my life is different than yours. I said that last week. We're not perfect. I've been around enough ministers to know that there are a lot of times that a minister, it's not good. Don't mishear me, I'm not condoning this. We'll step into a pulpit or step into a place of leadership I'm no different. I'm not scared to tell you. With some kind of sin, some kind of corruption in their life. Why am I telling you this? Because in the church, there's this stigma that we all have to be perfect, and we all have to appear to be perfect. And we have to put on our, our, our uh, casting crowns called it our stained glass masquerade to show up to the house so we appear like everything's put together. If we always look like everything's put together, nothing ever gets fixed. And if we always show up looking like everything is put together and never willing to admit a fault or a failure, Then we keep walking into the temple, the temple, the temple with the junk that we brought in from outside. We keep walking in and say, well, I'm here, so I'm delivered. Well, no, not really. Nothing really ever took place. No repentance ever took place. No amendment, no change ever took place. So we walk right back outside and fall right back into the same junk again. And God said through the prophet Jeremiah, long enough, and I'm pulling my presence from the temple. Nobody in the room is perfect. Nobody in the room is above sin. I hope and pray your life is not a life of sin. If it is, bless God, we want to pray today. Repent, turn, change your way. But you don't have to be living a life of sin to have sin in your life. I'm not talking about you, remember? Some of the finest, sweetest Christian women I've met along the way of my ministry journey had some of the worst gossiping tongues of anybody I've ever met. They weren't living lives of sin, but they sure enough had sin in their life. I've watched as my family is, I've watched as I've grown up in church, I've watched men of God Stand and lie to your face. Were they living a life of sin? Maybe, maybe not, but did they have sin in their life? Yes. How do we fix it? Jeremiah said, all you got to do is change. Before he laid out all the rough, nasty mess, he said, I think you would have said it like this. I don't like all the fancy translations. Sometime family. If you'll listen to the word of the Lord. And you'll simply turn. And give whatever that thing is to the Lord. Commit it to him. It's a journey. Are you going to fail? Yes. Are you going to do it again? Probably. When the naked woman's thrown down in front of Jesus. Because she's been prostituting. He said go and sin no more. You think she ever sinned again? I think she probably did. She wasn't perfect. He hadn't taken her home at that point, so until she went to heaven, she is not in perfection. It's a process. But we've got to continue moving toward holiness. We have to continue moving toward the fancy word sanctification, being different. The people of Judah looked like everybody else. It was causing them destruction. Father, I delivered this word today. God, I believe to the best of my ability by your anointing, I hope and pray, God, has been uh, communicated clearly and effectively. Lord, I hope that the heart's been heard. The heart not of only this sermon that I've communicated, God, but the heart of Jeremiah's sermon, the heart of your love, God, for your people. That you want to reside, you want to dwell with them in unity, God, but in order to have that dwelling, we have to turn. Father, we've got to be repentant. God, we've got to have a broken heart and a contrite spirit, a spirit of brokenness and repentance of sin. Father, I pray today that you would touch our hearts, convict us, Holy Spirit, move even now among this room. None of us are perfect. I would be willing to say we might be real conservative and say 98 percent of the people walked in the room today God with something that they should have left outside there's something that's going on that they're trying to work through there's something in their life God they need to lay it down before you today or we want you to reside in this house I need you to reside in my life God, and we might be small in number, but we, for one, are going to stand for you to reside in this nation. Holy Spirit, work in us today. Father, we come before you today with a heart of repentance. or whatever it is in our life, whatever it is, Father, that you're bringing to us, God, search our hearts today. Know our thoughts, know our ways, Father, know. Our actions, God, you know everything. bring them to us, Lord. Let us change. Let us be different today from this day moving forward. Father, I pray that you would touch and heal our churches. Not just this church, Lord, but the church of Jesus. The church where so many people are showing up every week. Father, we'll just call it what it is, almost a point of hypocrisy, Lord. Or they're showing up believing that just because they show up, they're good. Lord, you want so much more than that for us. You want so much more life to be in us, God. You want us to have life and life abundantly, Lord, and whatever it is that's holding us back is keeping us from that life. Lord, it is a message of truth, but it begins with a message of grace. God, you loved us so much that you sent your Son to die on a cross so that we could be free. Father, we stand today... On behalf of our nation. God, bridge let us bridge a gap. Father, we're few. God, but you're here. Your word tells us that we're two or three are gathered in your name. For your name's sake, God, you're there. I believe. God, you've moved among us today. Lord, move on behalf of this nation. Father, send revival. Send revival today, Lord. I believe that there is revival sparking up. There's small revival fires all throughout this land. I believe that, Father, but we need a sweeping revival that can't be stifled out. We need miracle signs and wonders to be evident, Father, for people to see and people to experience your divine love and power. Father, we love you. Remain in the temple, Lord. Let us dwell, Father. Your word says I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than dwell in attend any, among anybody else. Father, one day in your presence is better than a thousand anywhere else. God, let us dwell among you and among your presence in the house. Father, I love you. God, I thank you for your people. Lord, I pray that you bless them, keep them, let your face shine on them. God, give them grace and peace to go about their day. Lord, reside in them. Let them abide in you. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.